Hello, my name is Oriana Marquez, and welcome to this podcast where we will be discussing counselor education topics, concepts, and theories. Today, our topic is the Interpersonal Theory of Suicide by Thomas E. Joyner. The citation for this concept is Joyner, 2010. So the Interpersonal Theory of Suicide is basically a guide or a framework for a model of suicidal behavior for clinicians on how to work with it and answer the question of why do people die by suicide? So according to Joyner, 2010, why do people die by suicide? Because they can and because they want to. This means that people develop both the desire and the capability to do so. The theory states that only the ones who are capable of death by suicide are those who have been through enough past pain and provocation that the fear of self-preservation can be beaten back. So according to this theory, there are major factors that we look for that will influence the likelihood that individuals will engage in suicidal behavior. It is important to note that a crucial point of this theory is that just because someone is capable of death does not mean that they have the desire to do so. So when we look at the first factor of acquired capability, it is described as a lowered fear and tolerance of self-harm. But again, capability does not entail desire. When we look at acquired capability, we want to see that there's a capacity to stare down and beat the self-preservation instinct. This may look like a fearlessness of pain or injury and death due to the repeated experience of painful or otherwise provocative events. There's might be a continuous higher pain tolerance. Um, something that we look for as well is the job, the, f- the field that someone works in. So for example, um, physicians who are around death or experience death a lot. Um, They might have a higher acquired capability because they are around death. Um, An example of someone who has the capability but not the desire is a physician. Another one would be someone who is an expert in martial arts that can conflict um, high levels of pain yet does not have the desire to do so this would not be fall someone who falls within this factor. For this reason of acquired capability, there's a few things that we want to look for. For example, hesitation wounds. These might be minor cuts um, that are non-lethal or maybe such as practice. With enough practice, someone will increase their tolerance for pain and therefore have an increased acquired capability. Another implication to look for is past attempts for suicide. If there are past attempts, there is a likelihood for an increased level of pain tolerance or an increased level of capability, meaning that the next attempt may be more violent, more severe. The next factor we are going to explore is failed belongingness. Joyner states that the need to belong is a powerful motive. In fact, it could be as powerful as the instincts of self-preservation and reproduction. 
So when we look at failed belongingness, it is the experience that one is alienated from others and is not an integral part of a family, a circle of friends, or a valued group. So this might be someone who is isolated or has recently lost a close group that they once belonged to. There is an example in the book of um, an interview from a young man who had jumped to his death from a bridge and the psychiatrist when interviewed a friend of his said that he'd written a note and left it on his bureau and said I'm going to walk to the bridge and if one person smiles at me on the way I will not jump. The third factor is perceived burdensomeness and this is a self-view that includes low self-esteem and the idea that one is defective or flawed and that one's death is worth more than their life. So this view produces this calculation and it is essential to note that although suicidal people believe that this calculation is true, it represents a fatal misperception. There are many anecdotes to look for self-sacrifice when talking about perceived burdensomeness. Again, that their death is worth more than their life. This can be viewed in even the animal world through fire ants, through lions, bees. But when we talk about humans' self-sacrifice, there are examples that we can look for as well. This can be in the case of suicidal terrorists um, where they believe they are dying for a larger mission than themselves or their society. But a common example is people who may be living with depression. There is an example of a woman's suicide note to her husband that she wrote to her daughters to try to forgive her for what she's done, but that her father, their father would be so much better for them. And that though it may be hard now, it will be easier in the long run. Therefore showing that this woman believed that without her, her daughters would have an easier life. So when we are assessing for perceived burdensomeness, we want to see does this person believe that they are a burden to someone else or to a group? There is a great image of a Venn diagram in the book that shows how these factors work together. In the first circle on the left is those who desire suicide and have perceived burdensomeness and failed belongingness. The next circle is those who are capable of suicide. In the center of those two circles are those who have had a serious attempt or die by suicide. When a clinician is assessing a client, those factors are important to look for. Another important factor is what Joyner calls the big five, and these are diagnoses with elevated risk of suicide. These diagnoses are major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, anorexia nervosa, schizophrenia, 
and borderline personality disorder. Now we will talk about the risk assessment protocol. So therapists must regularly assess the degree of suicidal behavior and take the appropriate clinical actions. The American Association of Suicidality created a list of warning signs, and you can use the phrase is path warm as an acronym to remember what these warning signs are. So is path warm, ideation, substance abuse, purposelessness, anxiety and agitation, trapped, hopelessness, withdrawal, anger, recklessness, and mood fluctuations. These warning signs must be directly observable, but the risk factors may not be directly observable. So when assessing, Joyner describes three existing suicide assessments that may be used. The first one is the CAMS, the Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality. The second one is the CASE, the Chronological Assessment of Suicide Events. And the third one is URAP, the University of Washington Risk Assessment Protocol. All of these have strengths and drawbacks. So something to assess for is the desire for suicide. The way that this might look is asking the question of, have you been having thoughts of killing yourself? Tell me about that. Do you think about wanting to be dead? Tell me about that. We assess for thwarted belongingness. This might look like, do you feel connected to other people? Do you live alone? Do you have someone to call when feeling badly? Therapists should be particularly alarmed for clients for home meaningful connections to others are completely absent. How to assess for burdensomeness. Some people think that people in their lives would be better off when they're gone. Do you think that? We will also want to assess for past suicidal behaviors. So research studies show that a large percentage of individuals who die by suicide have histories of past attempts. Next, we want to make sure we assess for capability. We want to consider impulsive behavior. We can use a scale. We can ask questions. We want to consider painful and provocative event scale as well as any measures that were taken, such as the impulsive behavior scale. We want to assess for fearlessness about death or about self-injury. This could be through self-report or again through using a scale such as the acquired capability, sorry, the acquired capacity for suicide scale. It was also developed by Joyner. We want to look at any plans and preparations that the client may have made. Lastly, we will talk about strategies to reduce risk as a clinician. So according to the interpersonal theory of suicide, reducing feelings of thwarted belongingness and or perceived burdensomeness will reduce the suicidal desire and therefore can prevent a suicide attempt. So the main goal of crisis intervention is to take the edge off or decrease the pain and intensity of the current crisis. Hospitalization must always be considered, removing access to lethal means, eliciting social support, a commitment to treatment statement, 
we can use a crisis card. A crisis card can be made in the beginning of treatment, which may include concrete steps to take in times of crisis. This would be more than just phone numbers to call. It would also include any coping skills or regulation techniques, some pleasant activities that the client may have at hand, as well as their social supports. This is something that is created collaboratively. The three main goals of crisis intervention are to help the patient recognize and understand the thoughts and feelings about the trigger. We also want to help the patient act in a way to deactivate suicidal thoughts and to help the patient gain access to emergency care if the suggested strategies are ineffective. Helpful clinicians target the symptoms causing the most distress. We have now concluded this episode on the Interpersonal Theory of Suicide by Thomas E. Joyner, 2010. Thank you everyone for listening, and we will be back with more concepts and discussions. Hashtag nerd high.